0: Before we start today's episode, I wish to acknowledge that this podcast has been recorded on the traditional lands of the Kaurna people. I pay my deepest respect to Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. I acknowledge the Kaurna people as the custodians of the Adelaide region and consider myself incredibly lucky to live, work and raise a family on Kaurna land. Everyone and welcome to the Truth About Aging podcast. I'm your host Kate Helmore. Each week, we'll be unpacking your questions about the aged care sector, discussing how to age well, grow old, and make informed decisions. Let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode sixty-one of the Truth About Aging podcast. Today is another episode in our Healthy Habits series. And today we're going to be talking all about sleep. Now, I think sleep is a topic that comes up a lot as we age. And often people talk about the changes to their sleep, maybe waking lots of times throughout the night, feeling tired throughout the day. And it is normal that our sleep changes as we age. It's quite common for older adults to experience this. But what I want to unpack today is why does aging affect sleep? What are some of the specific maybe medical conditions that can impact that? Biological factors, environmental factors, and what can we be doing to improve our sleep? Because just because we're aging doesn't mean our sleep needs to get poor. It is a bit of a common myth that people that are older really struggle to get to sleep or are tired throughout the day, and these are not normal parts of aging. You shouldn't ever have ongoing difficulty getting to sleep and you definitely shouldn't be feeling drowsy throughout the day as your normal. We all have days where we've slept better or worse, and that impacts us. But if your normal is feeling constantly tired throughout the day, definitely worth speaking to a health professional about that. But we'll get into some of that later. So first of all, I just wanted to have a look at how our sleep is structured. So basically, our sleep is all connected to a part of our brain called the hypothalamus. And in the hypothalamus, We have a little thing, look, we're going to call it the SCN (laughs) because the whole tile is the suprachiasmatic nucleus, hence why we're just going to go with SCN. But that is responsible for controlling our 24-hour daily cycles, otherwise known as a circadian rhythm. So circadian rhythms are triggered by light. They help us know when we're getting tired. They give us cues about when to eat, when to be alert. It is responsible for releasing a whole lot of different hormones that really help structure our days. So the main way that it receives its information is through light. So what one of the issues is, and one of the first things I wanted to start on about why people who are aging often have impacted sleep is because they're potentially not getting enough daylight exposure. So one study out of the US showed that older people have insufficient daylight exposure, averaging around one hour each day. Now, that is one particular study, but that is incredibly low. They suspect that this is really predominantly impacted for those who are living in nursing homes and particularly those with uh, Alzheimer's disease or maybe other types of dementia that are potentially stopping them from getting outside as much. So daylight exposure is a really important part of maintaining a healthy circadian rhythm because it is, as I said, responsible for those hormones like melatonin and cortisol, which help the body understand when it's daytime, when it's darkness, then I need these hormones to help me sleep or I need these hormones to help me wake up. It really helps coordinate that whole circadian rhythm. So there's a few things in particular in how aging affects sleep specifically. Now, one of those is a shifting sleep schedule. So as people age, their circadian rhythms naturally shift forward a little. It's a called phase advance. But many older adults experience this so they might get more tired in the afternoon, might be waking up earlier in the morning. It's one of the common sleep disturbances is, is shifting sleep schedules. There's also a lot more frequent waking at night. Now this can be for various reasons, but the one I want to talk about in here is around the actual sleep architecture of how our body goes through different sleep cycles. So you may be familiar that there are different sleep cycles when you sleep. We have some lighter levels of sleep, some deeper levels of sleep. I'm not going to go into the specifics of that at the moment, but what they're finding is that Older adults typically spend more time in earlier, lighter stages of sleep and less time in those later restful sleep. So, this means that older people are often waking up more frequently during the night and having more fragmented, less restful sleep. Now, as I said, there can be other factors like toileting, like sleep apnea, movements, all kinds of different things that can also contribute to waking at night. But even without any of those, your actual sleep architecture is changing as you age. There are a lot of people that nap during the day and daytime napping, whilst can be beneficial, a short daytime nap, a lot of people tend to suggest that extended napping or particularly napping later in the day can contribute to more difficulty falling asleep at bedtime and create some nighttime disruptions. So that's another thing that can come into play. Also, you tend to take longer to recover from changes in a sleep schedule. Now, this is more typically things like jet lag, but can also be changes to daylight savings. It's how your body adjusts to those new times of waking and sleeping. Typically, that becomes a lot slower and harder to adjust to as you age. Now, as I touched on at the start, Sleep Disorders Australia really highlight that persistent trouble falling asleep at night or feeling sleepy during the day consistently is not a normal result of aging and something can be done. So it's really important that if you're listening to this and you think, actually, I feel tired throughout the day all the time or every night I spend more than 30 minutes falling asleep, I consistently have issues with that, that's not a normal part of aging. That's something that's worth just speaking to your doctor about or a sleep specialist and really starting to unpack what's happening there and what you might be able to do to help fix that. Some of the barriers that Sleep Disorders Australia discuss barriers to good sleep are some medical conditions that are common in the elderly that affect sleep. Now, these are things like arthritis, osteoporosis, Parkinson's disease, incontinence, indigestion, heart disease, lung disease, asthma, or emphysema. For example, they did a survey and 60% of arthritis sufferers over 50 experience nighttime pain and on average lost two hours sleep 10 times per month, which is a pretty considerable chunk of sleep. They do suggest that if you suffer from medical conditions that are impacting your sleep, it's worth discussing it with your doctor, as there may be particular medications they can use to help, or maybe even tweaks to current medications that might make a difference. Another one that can impact sleep is dementia. Often this is a result of things like nighttime wandering, confusion, frequent night waking, and it can not only obviously impact the person who is experiencing that, but very often the carer as well. So if you are one of these people, this is definitely something worth addressing with again, a doctor, because this long-term impact on your sleep can lead to other health issues. Sleep disorders themselves are more common in the elderly, so things like sleep apnea or periodic limb movement disorder are common in the elderly and affect up to around about 25% of people. Again, these result to more frequent night wakes, result in daytime tiredness and sometimes other ill health. And again, worth speaking to a doctor if these are things that you're finding you're experiencing. The other one that they have here as a barrier to good sleep, which might sound counterintuitive, is sleeping tablets. So Sleep Disorder Australia talk about the impact of sleeping tablets on your sleep long term. So they discuss that if you, say, have insomnia related to a specifically difficult period, maybe there's been a death in the family, maybe there's some specific issues with family or friends at the time, there's something causing you stress that's making it difficult for you to sleep. It might be appropriate for you to use sleeping tablets for a short period of time. This should always be done under medical guidance. However, they do lose their effect after a few weeks and shouldn't be prescribed for any longer than four weeks. So, if that's something that you've been on long-term, it can start to negatively impact your sleep and it would be worth consulting a doctor for an appropriate way of reducing that and getting back down to sleeping on your own. They really highlight that sleeping tablets should be for short-term use for a specified purpose, not for ongoing long-term use. So, We've talked about some of the barriers to good sleep, some of the issues that we're facing as we're aging, things that are changing for us. But now I just wanted to touch on why it's important that we actually get good sleep. So it might sound a little obvious, but sleep is very important to us. (laughs) Sleeping well makes us feel better, feel more alert, energetic, be able to concentrate and perform our daily tasks better and really Getting enough sleep is one of the most important things you can do for your health and well-being to reduce your risk of ill health in the long term. Regular insufficient sleep or poor sleep can contribute to things like obesity, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease and poor mental health. Because when we sleep, there's so many important functions that take place that help the body repair. They aid not only physical recovery, but support brain development, cardiac function, body metabolism, as well as supporting learning and improving overall memory and mood. It's really important that we're getting that downtime for our body to properly rest, because otherwise we are more likely to have problems with thinking, concentration, memory, reaction times, and mood. So, worth looking at all those great things that sleep can add, just as a reminder for why it's so important that we are prioritizing this. So let's say you're someone that sleeps poorly. Firstly, if there are medical conditions that are contributing to this, speaking to a doctor is the best place to start. But what I wanted to talk about a little bit today is a thing called sleep hygiene. Now, you might be familiar with the term sleep hygiene. It basically refers to a bunch of healthy habits, behaviors, and environmental factors that help you get a good night's sleep. So these might be completely changing the way that you do your nighttime routine and how you approach sleep, or it might make just a few little adjustments to your lifestyle, a little tweaks to what you're already doing. So the first one is around improving your sleep environment. So good sleep is far more likely to happen if your bedroom is a comfortable, safe, restful space that's really associated with rest and recovery and calm and peace. <laughs> so one of the things is just using your bedroom for sleep. If you treat your bedroom like a second lounge room, if you're watching TV in there, if you're taking phone calls with friends, if you're doing really active things in your bedroom, your brain can start to associate those activities with the environment. So instead of it being a restful down space, your brain can start to switch on in that space because it's associating it with those more high energy activities. Making sure your room is at the right temperature is really important. They say for most people, this is between 17 and 19 degrees Celsius. It's better to be on the cooler side than being too hot. I think my mum would disagree with that. But the idea is that it's cool enough that you are cozy and warm, but not, it's not a hot room that you're sleeping in. All the best getting your room to 17 or 19 degrees in the middle of summer. I think that's impossible, but this is what we're aiming for. Ensuring that the room is dark enough. So having some good quality blinds or even maybe an eye mask might be helpful if there's quite a lot of light in your room. Making sure that it's a quiet space. So if you can't control the noise, maybe investing in something like earplugs, but you're really trying to create a dark, calm, quiet space for you to be able to rest in. And that might also involve investing in a good quality mattress or pillows or something that really is comfortable and provides you with the right level of support. Now, second to this is around listening to your body clock. So we talked a little bit before about your circadian rhythm, which is triggered by daylight. One of the best things we can do to help our circadian rhythm is get up and get out in the morning light. So exposure to light during the early morning really helps set your body clock. So I'm talking waking up, getting outside, spending 10 minutes out in the daylight It might be having a cup of tea out there. It might be just standing on the grass and really getting set and grounded for the morning. It might be just sitting out there and observing what's happening in your neighborhood. But spending 10 minutes outside in the morning can really help set that body clock because that's what's responsible, again, as a reminder for releasing those hormones that work with us to help us feel tired at the right time, to help wake us at the right time. Instead of fighting our body, it really helps us work with it and flow with it. So getting outside in the morning is a really big way of doing that. And I know important to that too is it's not through glass. So you're not wearing any glasses. You're not sitting indoors looking out the window. It is really important that you're directly exposed to that sunlight. Now, in line with that, it's around getting up around about the same time every day, even on the weekends. So finding a bit of a routine to set, and maintain so that you find yourself getting sleepy around about the same time each night and getting ready to wake up around the same time each morning. Part of that too is listening to those cues and going to bed when you feel tired. Don't ignore the tiredness. It is your body telling you, right, we're winding down. We're pumping you full of melatonin. We're ready to go to bed. If you fight it and push through because you just want to read one more chapter or you're just going to watch the next episode of this TV show, it's far more likely going to be difficult to get to sleep later because you're not working with those hormones. I know that's easier said than done. I am the worst for wanting to just push on a little bit further, but really tuning into your body and listening to those cues will make falling to sleep much easier. You're not fighting your body. You're working with it. Now, the next one is around avoiding drugs. Now, when I say drugs, these are fairly, I guess, common things. We're talking cigarettes, alcohol, and sleeping pills. So cigarettes, whilst we all know are not good for our health regardless, the Sleep Health Foundation really specify that certainly in the two hours before you go to bed, you should be avoiding any cigarettes. Alcohol, whilst it is a depressant, it often might help you doze off when you first go to sleep but it disturbs the rhythm of your sleep patterns so that you're not going to feel as refreshed in the morning so alcohol is one to avoid particularly before bed and the third one which we talked about before were sleeping pills obviously in a short term temporary need under strict medical advice then go for it but not in terms of a long-term I'm just going to use sleeping pills to help get to sleep because there can be those issues with daytime sleepiness. You might not be addressing the underlying problem of that sleep issue. And also if you're going to go off them, there can be that rebound effect where it takes a while to reset back to what your normal circadian rhythm is. One of the ones that I really love in here, and I'm trying to be more mindful about implementing is relaxing your mind and having a sleep wind down routine, which is so funny. I think As a parent of a (laughs) one-year-old, we're so big on baby sleep and baby structure and what that looks like and how we help them wind down at the end of the evening. It now seems so blindingly obvious that it's just as important as we get older too to have a look at what that wind-down routine looks like. So that could be things like having a warm bath, doing some quiet reading, having a cup of tea, although maybe not too much liquid. might be your skincare routine that you do before bed. You might put some hand cream on. It could be a whole range of different things that are special to you that help you relax and unwind. And the more we follow that kind of basic structure or routine, the more those things start to trigger in our brain, hey, I know this, this is our wind-down routine. We're starting to get ready for sleep. And it starts kind of slowly bring you down into that space so that by the time you get to bed, You haven't gone from go, 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 go to now I need to rest. You've helped slowly ease into that. Now, part of that too that can be really helpful are relaxation exercises. This can be things like meditation, journaling. You might do some self-guided meditation where you think about relaxing your whole body, starting at your toes, working the whole way up through to your scalp. You might picture a really restful scene or focusing on your breathing. There's a lot of different things that can really help you relax your mind if you're intentional about how you do that. Because often, I think we'd all agree, one of the things that keeps us up is your head being busy. When you're worrying about something or you're overthinking something or your head's just in five different places, of things you need to do the next day, that's going to contribute to not being able to get to sleep. And using these relaxation exercises can be a really good way of signaling to your brain. Thank you for letting me know that there's things there for me to think about. I will deal with those in the morning. But for now, I am going to rest. I'm going to recover. And I'm going to park those things until I can deal with them later. So you're not ignoring them. You're not pretending they're not there. You're thanking yourself for acknowledging them and moving on with those helpful, practical relaxation activities that are going to help your body slowly unwind. Now, another just general suggestion is exercising every day. Now, I know we covered this in episode 60, but any kind of exercise is really going to help your body wind down overnight as well. You're going to try to avoid any mentally stimulating activities close to bedtime. So nothing that's really too bright and flashy or using your brain really heavily with thinking about all those really calming, soothing things on the way down to sleep. And obviously, maybe not obviously, avoiding caffeinated drinks. So these are... I guess when I said a cup of tea before, I had a herbal tea in my head. You're not going to do a caffeinated tea before bed or a coffee or cola or chocolate. You're going to be conscious about what you use before then. Now, let's say you've implemented all of those things and you're still really struggling to get to sleep. Really important you consider talking to a professional for help. GPs can help guide you and probably find you a referral, but there's sleep specialists, sleep clinics. There's even different online programs and apps that you can use to help with sleep as well. But I think it's really important to know that difficulty getting to sleep and ongoing tiredness throughout the day are not a normal part of aging. If these things are happening for you ongoing, it's worth speaking to someone and having a look at what you can do to fix that because that's not something you should have to experience all the time. Alrighty. I hope that's given you a few little tips and tricks and things that you can maybe implement throughout your day and throughout your sleep routine. Certainly made me want to go have a hot bath and get ready for bed, but it is about three o'clock in the afternoon, so I'm not quite there yet. but I hope that this has helped you out. If you want any more info or want to know a little bit more about me or what I do, you can find me at www.navigateagecare.com.au. I'm on Instagram at The Truth About Aging and on Facebook at The Truth About Aging Podcast. Thank you as always for tuning in. It's been a pleasure being here and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.